Hey, fellow Montrez Hale stands, welcome to the Luxury Tax, the only podcast where illegal string is readily encouraged. I'm Logan. And I'm Maxwell. You can catch us here every Wednesday on the Lead Sports Media, as well as the Spotify and Anchor app. Boys and girls, web-footed friends, Filipino tilt-a-whirl operators at the carnival, come one, come all. Welcome to the Luxury Tax. Logan, how are we feeling? Uh, you know, a little under the weather. I'm currently recovering from stage four summer league gingivitis, which is a rare condition in which you just make so many absurd proclamations of exhibition games that the ghost of Anthony Bennett curses you with just a, like severe, severe symptoms, just a variety of terrible symptoms. So, yeah, kind of better in the last few days from that. Well, we, we applaud your courage in showing up for the episode. Um, to all of those whose families who have loved ones suffering from summer league induced gingivitis are, you know, our deepest condolences, our hearts and prayers go out. Um, This was supposed to be an emergency episode as induced by the Adrian Wojnarowski report as of three days ago on Thursday, which declared that Russell Westbrook will be going to Houston and Chris Paul will be going to OKC. Um, and, and we were supposed to record this, you know, Thursday night, right when this Woj bomb dropped. Um, however, in the meantime, Logan's claiming that he's, you know, sick, gingivitis. We've actually been prepping with our startup extremist group on Twitter for our Area 51 raid the following week. I don't, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but I'm, I'm willing to come clean on it. Um, oh, I've Logan, signed, I've signed a petition uh, with multiple aliases as well. I probably make up about three hundred thousand of those signatures. <laughs> yeah. So the point is, if if you don't if you don't get a luxury tax um, podcast coming down your way for the next you know two weeks or two years or so, I, I, this is just a little hint at what might have occurred. Um, all joking aside, when, when this, when this deal came out, when Woj dropped this bomb about Chris Paul and and Russ, what I was really waiting for was the additional Woj bomb, which was going to say that Adam Silver was making an edit in the, in the NBA guidelines, which were going to allow Houston to play this season with an additional ball. Oh, and when that ball, when that when that ball edition tweet never came, then I was thoroughly confused at the logistics behind this deal. Yeah, in all of D'Antoni's years as a basketball coach, as an athlete, whatever whatever else D'Antoni has done, I don't think he has ever encountered such a troublesome situation. I. I mean, it's like, ah, it's just like, okay, there's, there's a lot of guys that I don't think Harden could play with well. You know, Chris Paul being one of them. I don't even think he'd play with Kyrie well. I don't, there's a lot of guys who distribute and have, you know, a much more, like, I don't know, selfless role in the game that I think Harden could coexist with. Russ is just simply not on that list, you know? And I, I'm just already having these 
horrendous visions of Harden just doing his doing his thing up top, just waiting for his defender to bite so he can launch a 35-foot step back, and Russ just pouting in the corner, just sullen, isolated, regretting the whole thing. I, I'm getting bad. I'm just getting bad voodoo from this thing already. I think the good that will come out of it, at least initially, is the amount of meme generation is going to be outstanding. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's going to be upper echelon of meme production. I'm talking like Nets bench this year type of meme production coming out of Houston. I, <laughs> wait, I mean, I see. I don't know the thing about. The thing about the Nets back bench this year was a lot of that jubilation came from the fact that there weren't really high stakes expectations on that team. Like the fact that like Dinwiddie started to show all-star flashes, D'Lo had a resurgence year, Jared Allen was just a kick and roll behemoth. A lot of that stuff, even, even Karis Levert's, you know, c- coming to his own league, a lot of that stuff was unexpected and the dominoes just happened to fall right. So it was this like, Wow, look what we've got going on here. Like look what look what fate wrapped us. With the Rockets, it's like they've been doing battle with Golden State abysmally for years now. And I just feel like that sort of I I don't know, I feel like that pressure kind of hurts whatever potential they have for an exciting bench. Maybe not. I think to a certain extent extent it does um i think getting chris paul's contract off the books certainly is somewhat of a relief especially for maury who can look to at least make a move at this deadline that's not kind of three which by the way kind of three played outstanding post all-star break that was oh yeah that was completely unexpected grant like props to him for that but the Rockets have now been in this situation the last couple of years where these contenders at the deadline are making moves for, like, real NBA players. And the Rockets signed a guy to a vet minimum who might possibly help, but more than often than not just sits at the end of batch giving, like, veteran advice to Austin Rivers. <laughs> yeah, like a guy like a guy like Nene or even this Tyson Chandler signing. Yeah, exactly. It feels much more – it feels much more like a – like a diplomatic, symbolic, like let's bring the wise man older over to whisper sweet nothings in our team's ear than it is like a real personnel move. I, I don't. I mean, what what moves uh, like aside? Like we can start with the Rockets first. You know, aside from this Russ move, what, what moves in free agency did you like? Did you like the Austin Rivers signing? Like, do you think their roster composition is heading in in any direction that they haven't experimented with already? I, I really like the Austin Rivers signing, especially it being on the veteran minimum. Because what Austin Rivers gave you this playoffs was like over 40% from deep in that Golden State series. He's an off ball or he's an off ball mover. He can create offense for himself off the bench. And you're going to have some second units with him Eric Gordon, Gerald Green, Kenneth Farid if they re sign him. That's going to be a lot of offensive firepower off the bench for you, especially if Rivers continues success from downtown. So, yeah, I love the Austin Rivers signing. I really hope they do sign kind of re-sign Kenneth Farid after what he did post-All-Star break. Um, they didn't make that many moves uh, until this whole Westbrook scenario played out. Uh, but 
the thing I want to talk about in terms of the Rockets roster assemblation, what they do with their like small forward and power forward, because you got Westbrook at the one, Harden at the two. But when you go from there, is Eric Gordon going to start at small forward for you? Is PJ Tucker going to start at the four for you? I mean, it's it's been effective in the past, especially like when Capella's when Capella's interior defense is kicking on all cylinders. But my thing is like when like I think you know the talking heads on ESPN or whatever they'll they'll you know supine about the Rockets roster composition this and that. And then what actually plays out when game time rolls around, especially a high stakes game, it's set after set of Harden high pick and roll into fade off into ISO, you know, and at the end of the day, it it doesn't matter what bodies you have on the floor or, you know, how well the pieces complement each other or who's moving off the ball well and who's setting good down screens and whose footwork is proficient. It it matters whether or not Daryl Morey and Dan Tony are willing to cede the reins to this horse and say, look, Harden, it's your team. You do what you want. You know, and, and I think if that's like, if that continues to be the strategy they deploy, I, I have no idea how Russ is going to coexist with that philosophy. Unless he somehow takes on a Draymond type game, which I think he is. Cap- Ooh, or even Simmons. It, or even which, Simmons. which I think he is capable of just given the physicality and just the generally electrifying nature that he possesses. I just don't know if the willingness is there for him to take a true second seat to Harden and say, I'm going to do everything else except for shoot the mid-range, except for shoot the three, except for shoot. I mean, that's what really Westbrook has to say is I'm going to shoot less than 10 shots a game. I mean, okay, I think I think that's a fair assessment. But in terms of like what Draymond gives you and a guy like and a guy like Ben Simmons gives you, they they have this like almost supernatural internal feel for the game in terms of the flows and rhythms of angles as it pertains to transition passing and just like how to lead a guy into a pass. Just like Simmons again and again will pass Reddick open because he knows the exact projectile angle of the trajectory of which Reddick is going to want to shoot that ball even off balance. And when I look at like Russ's career, I think he's a good passer. I think at times he's a willing passer, but does he have that intuitive sixth sense that I'm talking about with Draymond? You know, like the minute Draymond catches the ball at the top of the key or in the block, like he's, he's already running, you know, a software three-step analysis. Okay. Do I have the lob balloony? Can I kick it out with the left hand to clay at the wing? You know, can I, can I, can I go back door? Like, I, I just don't think that's how the wheels are turning in Russ's brain. I just think he is full throttle downhill the whole game. So then and, the big question is then, can he reprogram the machine that is himself to operate from a non-score first perspective to say, okay, Harden is taking the cog in this machine. I'm a well-oiled, I'm going to be a well-oiled cog in this machine. I mean, I think, I mean, I think that discussion goes all the way down to like the epistemological origins of basketball talent. Like is, is passing intuition, is passing instincts something you can teach? Is it something that a player can, you know, swallow up their pride and reprogram themselves to commit to? Or is it more innate? 
You know, like a guy like John Morant. Do you think John Morant forcibly chooses to be such a prolific passer? Or is it just a layer, like a degree to his basketball psyche that you can't necessarily choose? Yeah, I think that's a question we're never going to know the answer to. But I definitely would lean towards more that epistemological side of it is innate and it can't be taught entirely. But I do think that someone who really desires to be a part of something special within a team can make those compromises and rewire their game to a certain extent to help build, especially around a player. I mean, we've seen guys do this around LeBron when LeBron arrived in South Beach. Wade was the man there. He had already won one or what was it, two rings with Shaq. Wade was right. the man. Maine was the main main scorer. And it was it was late prime Wade there. LeBron came in. And Wade's role was relegated to I'm the second scorer on this team. I'm like almost turning into a pass first player and I'm letting LeBron run the show. Bosch the same way. Bosch's role was relegated to an even smaller, smaller role. And he became almost like a three and D guy on that Miami team. And they saw immense success in LeBron's three, four years there. And does Westbrook have it in him? I'm not sure, but I do think we've seen it before and we'll see it again of players roles being not just diminished, but just being re reconsidered into what, what am I as a basketball player? Do I want to ring and win a ring enough to change how I play the game? No, I, I think that's an excellent rebuttal. Um, I do want to transition into the the just treacherous long game that the OKC Thunder are embarking on with Sam Presti at the helm here. I mean, let me let me read off the assets that this team has accumulated in the last couple of weeks. All right, here we go. Eight eight first round picks since draft night. Twenty twenty Denver protected one through ten. Twenty twenty one Miami unprotected. Twenty twenty two Clippers unprotected. 2023 Miami protected 1 through 14, 2024 Clippers unprotected, 2024 Houston protected 1 through 14, 2026 Clippers unprotected, 2026 Houston protected 1 through 4, plus, and here's the kicker, four additional pick swaps. I mean, this is, this has, this has never, this is, this is beyond any sort of hinky diorama of scheming. You know, this is like, this is selling the farm. Not, not to mention, not to mention that Chris Paul still remains on the roster. Dennis Schroeder still remains on the roster, and it seems like after that Clippers trade, they're committing to Shy as somewhat as the point guard of the future there. So you're probably I... gonna, you're pr- probably gonna see them at least make one more deal. If that not be Stephen Adams dealing him somewhere else to a contender, dealing Schroeder, dealing Chris Paul, we could see. The Thunder realistically have twenty draft picks, including their own, in the next <laughs> in the next ten years. They could have twenty It'll be first, like, oh they could my have 20 God. first rounders in the next ten years. I shit you not. I shit you not. They're gonna have to have like multiple G League rosters. Like it'll be a summer league where you see, oh, the Thunder are playing the Thunder. Look at that. That's Dan Dockage is announcing, saying no one's boxing out. This is horrible. They might have they might have to start a JBL team. <laughs> Yeah, you'll have LiAngelo playing for, like, the Thunder's C team in G League. <laughs> yeah, no, that could be fun. Um, now, here's, here's my biggest grievance, or at least my biggest point of curiosity, is, listen, Dennis Schroeder, you know, when he's put in the right sets, 
can be a really effective penetrator and spark plug as a point guard. Shy, you know, we're just we're just dipping our toe in the water of what Shy can be in terms of his feel for the game and his slithery penetration style. And to bring in, you know, Chris Paul's got three years, one hundred twenty-four million dollars. Are are you bringing? Is this move all about those two first-round picks, and then you're going to dish Chris Paul to, you know, whoever? Or are they trying to be pseudo competitive gun for the eight seed while rebuilding and then like keep their young talent, you know, like mystified in some sort of like, Hey, we're still contending, you know, get up every day and we're here to win an NBA championship sort of aura or, or what the hell is this? See, I think that aura is a lot of the times a falsehood. Like we saw it with the Cavs last year after the LeBron to LA show went down Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love were sending out tweets that, oh, we're destined for success this year. We're gonna we're gonna be a playoff team. We're gonna shock everyone. And then the and then the season starts, <laughs> of course. You know, October rolls. And then out. and then JR quit. <laughs> they're god awful. <laughs> I mean, they're so bad. Oh yeah, just a dumpster fire. But there is still a pretty damn good amount of talent on this Thunder team. Like I said, you have Chris Paul Schroeder. Shy, you have Gallinari, you have Steven Adams, then you have Nerlens coming off the bench, you have Terrence Ferguson. We we don't know what Howard Real is gonna be this year, but there is still like this is a playoff team in the East for sure. Deontay Burton, yes. never sleep on Deontay Burton. Darius Basley. You were you were just trashing Darius Basley in our draft episode. Yes, no, I was. I was, but let's not have a change of heart so we're, soon. We're talking about Chris Paul Schroeder, Gallinari, Steven Adams, Dylan Noel, like that, that, that's a playoff team in the East. I, it's definitely a playoff team in the in the East, and 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 you know personally, I think they have the defensive pieces to probably put together a record over five hundred in the West. I just wonder if that's what they want, because may I remind you, as I go down that list of assets, Denver's arguably the best team in the league right now from a personnel standpoint and from a standpoint of how can we win regular season games? That pick, that 2020 pick will probably be like number 29. Yeah. You know, Miami, Miami, you know, Miami's going to be a decent team for a while. The Clippers are, you know, actually probably top to bottom. If we're talking about playoff contention, the best team in the league right now, you know, it's like a lot of these picks are not likely to produce quality players. And so the way that you, the way that you structure this in terms of a rebuild, in terms of, maximize like maximizing your optionality is how can we pair these late first time first round bets with lottery bets and that that's where i'm just confused because you know teams that rebuild need the lottery to go well that's that's just a a dogma that i've internalized maybe but i there's there's definitely a certain degree of luck that goes into any successful rebuild. For sure. And for sure. Whether OKC goes that direction is yet to be determined. I wouldn't even be dumbfounded if Chris Paul kind of pulled an Anthony Davis in like the second half of this year and says, I'm playing 20 minutes a game if it doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs or just gets hurt, which is an equally likely scenario. <laughs> Yeah, no, that'd be that'd be a real bummer for the league, though. Because Chris Paul was at a point in his career where he wanted to win a ring, and now it looks like that window is closing 
very quickly, barring some miracle trade that have, plays out for him. But there aren't really any contenders at this point. Maybe the Clippers that would want Chris Paul, but no one's going to want to take on that contract. No one can take on that contract other than really bad teams. You're, you're going to have to pay a team. You're going to have to throw in some sweeteners for a team to even take this Chris Paul deal, especially if it's going to be a bad team that takes it. I mean, do you take any – do you, like – do you take any credence in the theory that with Chris Paul, it's not just about the monstrous contract. It's about the fact that he's burned so many bridges around the league with his whole cavalier embattled constant hostility of an attitude. Yeah. Not a lot of guys like Chris Paul. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the sense I get from <laughs> a lot of case studies. <laughs> he, he's not like an outspoken, like, NBA villain in the way that like um, Nurkic was for a while, where guys just hate the guy. But Chris, yeah. Chris Paul is subtly disliked by at least a few players on every team in this organization. Like, not many guys really like Chris Paul from what I've heard and what I've read. Well, I think I think he alienated that whole Clippers team, and then like mm-hmm. Rondo, Rondo went on a tirade after trying to pork him in the mouth about you know, how, you know, you know, Chris Paul comes off like a good leader, but actually he's a horrible teammate. And, you know, no one really stepped up to Chris Paul's defense in the media. It was just like, oh, oh yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's the case. So like, you know, I just, I wonder if, if his like immobility in terms of like the defender's ability to move him is just about the money or if it's about the fact that like, hey, maybe Chris Paul isn't built for a contender. Maybe he's, a locker room poison. Which which would be sad given how Chris Paul's career has played out with the Clippers never being able to get over the edge on that team and then what that unfortunate trade. But I don't know, I want to transition here into talking about um, what, what identity will this Thunder team take on if they decide to compete? Will CP3 like kind of subvert that narrative of him being a historically bad teammate and be a mentor for Shy Gilgis and Terrence Ferguson? And if so, like how will the Thunder decide to split the minutes at the point guard spot between CP3, Shy, and Schroeder? Will they run that like two point guard set like you saw with Alfred Payton and Drew Holiday in New Orleans? I mean, I actually, I think, I think the two point guard set is the new wave that could actually become ubiquitous in the NBA, especially with what the Cavs are maybe trying to do with, with Garland and Sexton. Um, I, I just like, you know, for, for a long time, this, this, it, even before the Billy Donovan era, the Thunders, you know, their heart and soul was we get it done on the defensive end. And I, I just, I think that sort of character doesn't bode well for tanking, you know, because again, they're not even a young team. Like that Schroeder contract, Roberson's coming back this year. Patrick Patterson's still under contract. You know, like it's not all that young of a team where you can like sit back and be like, all right, we're, we won 26 games, but our young guys improved and took a step. It, it, they're kind of in no man's land. Yeah, they, they kind of are in the no man's land, like what the Wizards have been in for the last like half decade or so. And, like I said, you have to you have to wonder will they capitalize on 
CP3's, I guess, veteran prowess and kind of, like I said, subvert that narrative of him being that historically bad teammate? Or is it just going to be absolute implosion, Trade C- try to get CP3's contract off the books at the deadline, hope that Shy is your point guard of the future, and just try to salvage what's left of just an all-out pretty poor offseason aside from this encyclopedia of first-rounders that they've acquired. <laughs> you know, and I, I still have some hope that CP3 can coexist with, like, the right backcourt. I'm not positive that Shy is that guy because, like, Shy, Shy shows a lot, of, a lot of talent. It flashes, but he wasn't, like, he didn't have Trey Young's sort of authoritative assertiveness, like, let's go, let's run this set, coming out of timeout, clapping his hands. Like, he was a bit timid, a bit in the shadows, a bit, you know, trying to figure himself out throughout the game. And that's why it just, like, it feels like Chris Paul could come in there and be, like, you know, his attitude, like, hey, get this get this young, nervous guy out of my sight. I'm running this thing. You know, do, do you get that sort of fear? No, I actually think that they could coexist better than Harder than CP3 did with the Rockets. Because when you look at Shy, you have a guy that's like 6'6", incredibly lengthy, someone that we could pick up in our Area 51 trek that will be happening here soon. Um, <laughs> but you with CP3 of this assertive, isolation, score-first point guard with like savvy passing instincts, but with Shy, you have this lengthy pass-first, somehow slithers his way to the basket like an eel-like manner type player they really do have pretty pretty opposite play styles at the point guard spot and shy doesn't need the ball in his hands to be successful at least a lot less so than chris paul does i think it could play out if chris paul wants it to but it all comes down to will will cp3 come in with a dickish attitude (laughs) or or will he say, I only have a few years left in this NBA thing. I'm probably not going to win a ring. And so at this point, I want my legacy to be lived on through shy if he sees the potential in him. Yeah, and, you know, who can really know? I, I think, if, I mean, if CP3 is hitting a good mark from three, this whole thing could mesh together a lot more seamlessly. Mm-hmm. But but I think a lot of his rhythm was disrupted last year with how Harden's ball dominance, you know, affected everyone's rhythm. But Hey, (laughs) who knows? We'll see. We will have to see. And we'll see you here next time on luxury tax every Wednesday. Hey, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to Luxury Tax. For more scalding hot takes, don't forget to follow our Twitter at The Luxury Tax, as well as the Lead Sports Media. That's right. And tune in next week, Wednesday, for our newest installment. And make sure to keep those elbows in check at your local YMCA tomorrow. Adios, y'all.